Hi, I'm Matthew Moore, producer for Undisciplined. You're getting ready to hear our second live episode of the year in celebration of Black History Month. This conversation took place on February 21st inside Memorial Hall on the University of Arkansas campus in Fayetteville. This is a conversation on food insecurity in Northwest Arkansas. As our host, Dr. Cree Banton, always says, let's get into it. Our last statement, we talked about black erasure in Northwest Arkansas. And this evening, we're talking about a topic no less important. We will be looking at food insecurity in Northwest Arkansas. Now, you know, we often talk about Northwest Arkansas as a bubble, as a space that is relatively affluent. So no one really expects these kinds of issues to exist in a space like this. What do you think, Matthew? I mean, as I ride my expensive bike through campus on a pretty regular basis, I don't see a lot of food insecurity from my perspective. Are you looking around? Well, yes, I'm, dr- I'm riding my bike safely. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, but, you know, if we pay enough attention, we can see that even in this bubble that people think is relatively affluent, uh-huh. uh, relatively powerful, that um, have some of the biggest corporations. Uh, um, some of the biggest food corporations. So biggest food corporations, to be specific. Yeah. You know, uh, it seems like, you know, we wouldn't have that kind of, you know, these kinds of problems. But Arkansas as a state um, overall, you know, if we look at the kinds of issues uh, in the United States um, and, you know, we look at the multiplicity of ways that Arkansas as a state has been failing, we can see that that wouldn't surprise us that this is an issue here. Uh, Feed in America has Arkansas as the second highest food insecurity state in the country. Mm. You know, half a million Arkansians uh, struggle to find enough to eat, including almost 170,000 children, which place the state number three for child hunger. We're number three. Oh, wrong, wrong end. Sorry. No, this is not a thank God for Alabama or thank God for Mississippi <laughs> moment. Yeah, no kidding. Um... According to Healthy People 2020, the primary factors of food insecurity and hunger include poverty, mm-hmm. uh, income, unemployment, and lack of services. And Arkansas saw an increase in the gap between high-income and low-income earners in recent times. This has been exacerbated, Matthew, mm-hmm. by the ongoing COVID-19 epidemic. Oh, yeah, Absolutely. So food insecurity as an issue um, plagues us, whether it's rural, whether it's ur- um, um, urban areas in all these communities in Northwest Arkansas and in the United States and affected communities encounter above average um, obesity rates and higher than normal incidents of diabetes and high blood pressure. Right. Um, and such common diseases can be improved even cured with healthy diets. Right. Right. Um, getting rid of uh, food deserts, you know, accessing fresh produce and or accessing transportation to acquire fresh produce. You know, we can see that that can be a barrier, can be a constant barrier to many residents in these areas. So challenges um, also include uh, stakeholders not knowing where to access such products. Where food can, deserts. Yeah. 
where can they where can they go and find these things right um and so we need to also think about sustainable ways to meet the demand um creating um you know we need to create more education training um around these kinds of issues uh, we could, you know, expand, uh, Matthew, could go into the issues, how this has been exacerbated by how Arkansas, by our direction um, towards becoming the new Austin. You want to live in the new Austin, uh, Matthew? Let's get it. Let's make it weird. <laughs> let's make it weird, baby. <laughs> right. And what that I think I think in Fayetteville, what we say is let's keep Fayetteville funky. Yes. Right. Yes. Let's keep Fayetteville chill. <laughs> <laughs> yes, maybe I made that up. Um, <laughs> but the kinds of issues around housing prices that we yeah. saw with the ongoing COVID-19 um, epidemic, the extremely low-income households displace issues of high rents, um, how that has affected um, those incomes who are, are below um, or at poverty Um you know, um, our, our poverty level, right? Households are severely cost burdened, right? Um, at this time, um, spending more than half of their income on housing alone. Wages are stagnant and cost of living is doubling or maybe more for some folks. Exactly, right? So we have these severely cost burdened poor households that are more than likely um, than other renters to sacrifice other necessities like healthy foods and health care to pay rent, right, um, and to experience unstable housing and um, situations like uh, uh, evictions. But we have a panel of people here who have been dealing with this kind of issues, uh, are involved in the community actions, addressing these kinds of issues, and we are so very excited that they're joining us tonight to have this necessary discussion. Give it up for the panelists, guys. I want to start with the students first. And actually, I'm going to go around and I'm going to have people introduce themselves, um, actually. And I want to actually start with the students. So let's start with the students first. Madame. Hello, everybody. Uh, my name is Judy Kamau. I am currently the Razorback Food Recovery Intern on campus, um, which is within the Volunteer Action Center. And basically what my program does is tries to eliminate food waste on campus while serving food to the community. Peace, everyone. Um, I am Terius Bruce. I am an Environmental Dynamics PhD student. This is my second year. And I'm focusing on uh, food security and sustainable food systems and pathways to agriculture. Um, and that's what I'm here for. Thank you. Great. Thank you. So let's then get to uh, our other esteemed panelists. And we'll start online with Representative Denise Garner. How are you? Oh, we're, we're happy to see you. Oh, I'm glad to be here. I'm sorry it's from Little Rock, but uh, I, I live here these days. <laughs> well, we're glad you're doing the community's work. Thank you. Thank you. So I'm from Fayetteville, District 20, and I've been a representative for five years. And before that, I started a nonprofit for hunger relief in 2010. And that uh, organization, that local organization has become the program part of the Northwest Arkansas Food Bank. That is so amazing. Thank you so very much. Thank you. All right. Okay, Mr. Street. 
Good evening, everyone. I'm David Street with an organization called Bread for the World. And I'm the director of Next Generation Strategy and Engagement. We are trying to get more young people involved in this hunger justice space. As people are aging and getting older, we want to make sure that we are replacing them with the next group of leaders, activists, funders. And so I'm excited about this conversation to talk about things like the farm bill and sustainability programs and waste and all those different types of things. It's a lot of magic that we can do together in this space, so I'm excited to be here. Hi, I'm Minister Monique Jones. I run the St. James Food Pantry. I'm also the director of the outreach and community engagement, and I, like Mr. Street, am about tackling food insecurity, um, finding grants, and supporting the farm bill, talking to my congress congressman and anyone that's leading the efforts around food insecurity. Good evening, everyone. I am Casey Cowan, the Director of Client Services at the Northwest Arkansas Food Bank. And um, some of the main initiatives of the Client Services Department include um, gardening and nutrition, which we have actually um, brought over from the uh, program that Denise just talked about, her feed communities. We initiated that into the food bank, something we didn't have before. And then also um, data collection. One thing that we realized is that if we're not collecting data from our neighbors that we're serving, then how can we ever serve them better? So our, um, our team works on collecting data with dignity and respect, but also trying to use that information to serve our, to serve our neighbor better. And then also um, another, another program of ours is the um, agency relations portion because you know I mean the food bank just acts as the hub we have 115 partner agencies in the four county area here that are actually the boots on the ground out giving food to our neighbors Great, wonderful thank you so very much for this great service to the community I'm going to start with you, uh, Mr. Street, because, you know, you came all the way from D.C. And we want to know why you're so passionate about this kind of a stuff and what we here in Northwest Arkansas um, should be tackling from your perspective. Absolutely. Well, first thing, uh, I'm passionate about these issues. I was telling one of the classes earlier today that, I identify as Afro-Latino. Uh, my father immigrated to this country from El Salvador in the 1980s when that country was in the middle of a civil war. And my mom is a beautiful black woman. So I have these two amazing cultures and communities that I come from, but they're oftentimes the most marginalized, overlooked communities in the country. So when you talk about issues like education, immigration, food insecurity, you're talking about my folk. And so it's always been impressed and instilled upon me to try to do and try to be a helping hand within my community. So that's how I come to this work. That's how I see myself in this space. As far as where we are in this time, in this moment, I mean, Arkansas is very important with national legislation. When you think about the upcoming Farm Bill, uh, Senator Bozeman, he's going to have a lot to say as it relates to what will be heard and not heard in those committee meetings. And so when we talk about things like college food insecurity, one of the things that we heard from college students all over the country is the requirement for a college student to be eligible for SNAP, the work requirement, that should be eliminated. You're a college student. <laughs> you should just be eligible for it, you know, if you fall into that category. 
Um, there are a lot of pantries popping up on college campuses more than ever. And so we know that that is a problem. And that's something that we know this farm bill can help rectify. Um, so many churches and organizations do amazing work giving food and meals out every day. But we know that this is something that legislation can also amplify and help. You know, you think about SNAP and how people survived during the pandemic because those emergency relief funds that really helped a lot of families and got them out um, during that tough time. And so this is why I'm here. Um, this is why I'm building relationships, listening more than anything, because this stuff is important to my communities and our communities. We may, if we're not experiencing it firsthand, we probably know people that are. And so good neighbors help each other out. David, can you talk a little bit about, I, <clears throat> I moved to Fayetteville as a grad student, and one of the first things that they told us in orientation was, here's where the food pantry is. Go as often as you need. Don't feel like you're burdening anyone else in the community. If you need food, if you can't get food, then come here and don't feel bad for taking what you need. Why are we doing this to grad students? Why are we doing this to undergrad students? Why are we forcing 18, 20, 22-year-old people who are going to school full-time to depend on food pantries to be able to survive to, you know, make a difference in their community by getting a good, solid education. I wish I really had an answer for that, a simple answer. I'm sure you could probably put, point to a number of factors, but I think the thing that I'll just say is unacceptable. And that's one of the things that we are trying to fight for at the national level uh, when it comes to this particular farm bill. The farm bill is reauthorized every five years. And so what goes through this year is going to be with us for five years. What isn't in there isn't going to be with us for five years. And so we want to make sure we keep listening, having conversations. My organization, we did a lot of that last year. And so now we're meeting with our elected officials. This is what we heard in the community. This is what we heard in neighborhoods. You guys need to act on this. We want to hold you accountable. And so that's where we are. Judy, as someone who is interacting with fellow students you're you're interacting with folks who are also you know going to school full-time going to school part-time what stories are you hearing from your classmates when they come into the pantry yeah i would say that um it's kind of crazy that most people don't really know they have access to the pantry i think a lot of people assume that like in you know the main community food pantries are for people that really really need it so if you're a student going to school and you're getting your tuition paid somehow some way like you don't need the food pantry um and so yeah it's most people coming for the first time and they're like oh i didn't know that i could get xyz here just for free just by walking in and i can come up to t like two times a week as many times as i want throughout the year like that's amazing so it's really people that don't know about it find out about it are really happy with the results and then go on to tell other people about it as well i am curious you know to hear from uh representative garner uh about what uh led her to create um her organization that she did here what was she seeing in the community and how did she go about creating that organization um, to meet those needs? Absolutely. I, in 2010, Feeding America, which is another great organization like Bread for the World, a national organization that um, keeps data for hunger relief and, um, and food insecurity. And in 2010, Arkansas was number one in child hunger. And we had a governor at that time that... Um, that made certain that uh, he was going to do everything he could do to to get those numbers uh, changed. 
And so he started uh, an organization with Feeding America, a No Kid Hungry organization in in the state. And um, and so he asked he asked the world through our church and lots of letter writing campaigns and um, had been involved in the local food uh, community in Fayetteville with some of the local farmers and restaurants and trying to get uh, local foods into the schools. And so he asked me to be on this task force. And I went down to the task force, basically thinking, um, you know, wondering how I was going to how, how I was going to get my um, philanthropic Northwest Arkansas friends into helping uh, the children in the Delta that I knew had food insecurity problems. And what happened is I got down there to Little Rock to, for this meeting and yes, percentage-wise, the Delta probably has the highest rates in food security and in, in food insecurity uh, in our state. Although we've got lots of, of places that that have high numbers, but in terms of just quantity of children not knowing where their next meal is coming from, Northwest Arkansas had the highest numbers. And so that was a real shock to me. And I've worked in nonprofit, um, various nonprofit organizations for 40 years, almost 40 years up here. And it was a shock to me. So um, we had restaurants at the time. We were we were working with local farmers to try to make uh, make sure that we were serving local foods and making sure that they, you know, that the farmers were getting what they needed. We wanted the whole food system to, to be as sustainable as possible. And so we came back. And basically just kind of put out the word and said, what can we do locally? And uh, there were a couple of restaurants that were utilizing the same farmers that we were. And so we kind of just by word of mouth decided that we would meet and see what we could do to get healthier foods out there to some of our Northwest Arkansas children. And what happened was we ended up, you know, I thought there'd be eight or 10 and we had 67 people in the first meeting. And we had moved to the church. And uh, so so anyway, we met. And what we found out was that there were a lot of great people doing wonderful things, but nobody knew what the others were doing. You know, we've we've all got to pay attention. We've all got to get involved in the in the programs that that, uh, you know, we've we're talking about on these panels. And we've got to make sure that you're paying attention to what your government's doing, because the state of Arkansas is going backwards, in my opinion. And, and that is just my opinion. And you'll talk to some legislators that feel like we're absolutely going forward. But, you know, we have a bill that um, is is uh, uh, trying to stop any affirmative action. And, you know, when we're talking about women in business or minority businesses or just the statistics and health and uh, uh, hunger in, in the state, we need affirmative action. And, um, you know, we, we are not anywhere near equity in Arkansas or in the United States. And so, um, you know, and especially uh, the folks, you know, the, the folks that have been in the receiving line for a lot of discriminatory efforts that has just been exacerbated since COVID. So those issues have been highlighted, highlighted, and um, and and certainly made worse um, with some of these, with some of the COVID issues. So, you know, we've got a long way to go. Um, you know, I think that that we've got to to relook at what's happening across the board 
with economic development and with the uh, economic insecurity, insecurity, the hunger insecurity. There's so much that is still inequitable in Arkansas and in the U.S. And until we deal with some of those systemic issues, um, I don't think we're going to deal with hunger in any significant way. Uh, Well, you know, we have all kinds of people here tonight, and I'm very curious. We have activists. We have people in the um, church space um, doing this kind of a work. And uh, we have uh, some people in the political space doing this kind of a work. And, you know, I'm always curious about the transition from activist to politician and what changes and, you know, what what new maneuvers and tactics. But I am interested in hearing um, for, you know, uh, from the rest of uh, the panelists in terms of, you know, your views on, you know, outside of politics, um, how are you trying to meet these kinds of needs? Uh, for instance, Monique, um, how are you, you know, as a, as as in a church-centered space, uh, how how do you approach this issue of food insecurity? Perhaps say differently than somebody who is in a political space or somebody in academia. You know, it's a good question because I like to go in all spaces. <laughs> I, I think I think if the door is open, I want to seat at the table. And that's just me because there's different places and different spaces. I attend the Washington County Quorum Court meetings. I attend City Hall meetings because if there's funding available, I want to seat at the table to find out how can I support my community better. Um, and And in that church space, they don't expect us to show up at those meetings, but I'm advocating for anyone that's oppressed. I'm advocating for anyone that doesn't have a voice, and I have lines and lines. And we, we feed about 600 every week, and during the pandemic, we fed over 1,500 every week. You cannot do that on the back of benevolent offerings in a church. That's not sustainable. So I started thinking outside the box of what do I do and how do I find sustainable funding in order to continue to support my community? And this is where I move into those political spaces and go, how can I get the county to support that we're feeding individuals throughout the county from Madison and Benton and Washington County that are suffering from food insecurity? How do I get you to see that this is happening right here in your back door? And I think about him, like he's saying he's riding a bike through the neighborhood. A lot of those people that are sitting in those local political seats still have a blind eye turn that Northwest Arkansas is struggling with food insecurity. And until I bring these to the forefront at the city council meeting, and I bring those to the forefront at the Washington County Quorum Court, they're looking like, and, and literally somebody said to me, when are you going to stop giving away those welfare boxes? Oh. But this is the way, this is their opinion. So this is the way they see a food pantry serving their community right. until it hits home, until it's their son, their mother, their grandmother. And it's because so many, even um, elderly, are suffering from food insecurity. They're having to make a choice. Do I buy my medicine or do I buy food? Why is it in our community they're having to make that choice? And a lot of that goes back to trauma that goes around to food, too. Just think about it. How many children have been sleeping in a car during a pandemic, and the family says, you better not go to school and tell anybody that you didn't eat last night? That's trauma that they're going to take with them as a child to a college student to an adult. 
We have to start tackling this and addressing these traumatic issues that's happening earlier in life or it rolls over until later into their adult life. And then you ask why somebody's stealing food. Well, it was never given to them. Or if it was given to them, it wasn't given to them with dignity. Well, what I'm hearing from you is a lot of this, <clears throat> the word that kind of sticks in my mind is the stigma, right? There's this stigma that if I can't afford to get food, then I'm a bad person or I'm not a whole person, right? Um, how do we work towards, uh, I mean, th- when I think of that, like the, a, a big element of that is just talking about it, right? One major way to help uh, pull away from that stigma is to talk about it and and for all sorts of folks to be able to talk about that how do how do you see the work that you're doing helping to break away some of those stigmas around the reality that I would venture I guess that anyone in this room has at one point in time like struggled to at least think about one meal in their life right how do we, how do we work to get rid of those stigmas i think we work um number one is it's four different pillars that we have to use but the first one which is most important is bringing our authentic self to the table yeah and seeing them as an equal and not having power over them with right. food right because when you're talking about there's almost this like shame of like you have to like Walk through yeah. the line. And yeah. Like, yeah. The walk of shame to get food. Thank you for the food. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. I mean, I think that's a yeah. very it's a good power point. power dynamic. It exactly. it like you're the giver, and right. that means you're more powerful than and, the And taker. so removing that, seeing them as people, giving them back its dignity, and then trying to find a common bond to create a relationship with my community members. You're part of my community. How can I serve you? This, anyone in this room could be 30 days away from financial ruin. And then you could be in that same line. I saw it during the pandemic, and I see people that still have not come out of that that still need to be served. And I and I start off by saying, if you come and register today, if you find a job next week, still come back because I want to close that gap, and I want you to be able to pay your bills, and I want you to be able to get ahead before you think that you don't have to come back here. Because automatically people think, I start working, I can't come to the food pantry. I said, no. Let you pay your bills. Let me worry about your food. Let me worry about making sure I can serve you every single week. And that means a lot to someone is giving that autonomy to make a choice whether or not they can come back. And then greeting them as if they're people. So if I greet someone, I call you by name. I'm number one. That's number 53. You know, that's also traumatic for some people that come out of prison and coming out of jail. And they were always labeled by a number. I don't want to give them that. I want to give them back their dignity to call them by their first name and then ask, how's your mother? I noticed you were gone for two weeks. How are you doing? Okay. Just being genuine and asking those questions and seeing them as a person. So I wanted to, you know, to David um, and to Casey as well. So, David, is this um, coming from an activist perspective up in D.C. uh, and Monique here, local on the ground? Is this issue um, a matter of approach from an activist level because you're tackling big political legislators, senators and those people? Or is it also a matter of scale? What is your perspective on that in terms of attacking food insecurity? And and Casey, you know, for you here serving many different offshoots of this um, food uh, system here, um, serving people, you know, what is your approach to that? David first. Yeah. 
It, it probably is a little bit of both. I think when, and, and, and Re Reverend Monique, yes, okay. She said something um, about just benevolence and how benevolence can't cover, you know, what we're trying to get out of. There's an illustration, if I had a slide, I, I would certainly board it, but imagine there are 24 grocery bags on this table. Our feeding programs from our churches, nonprofits, could only fill one. Could only fill one. It means you have 23 empty bags still left on the table. And this is where the grants, the government you know, programming and all, they fill the other bags. They have the, you're talking about billions of dollars. You're talking about infrastructure at this point. You're talking about all these things, food waste. You know, we're throwing away food because sometimes we just can't refrigerate it. You know, it's just a number of different things that government programs can support that will fill those other 23 bags. So when you're talking to a lawmaker, you could talk about facts, you could talk about a number of different things, but really imagery and stories are what really connect with them, followed up by facts, followed up by site visits, you know, come visit, come talk to people on the ground, those different types of things. And as far you as- You get lawmakers to do that? We invite them to, and sometimes they may not personally come, but you're building a relationship with their staff at that point. So they'll send their LD, the legislative director out to, to, to come. And, you know, I do digital organizing trainings, particularly with young people. And this is where the power of social media comes in because everybody wants to look good. Everybody wants to say, I was out doing something. And this is how you hold people accountable with your Twitter, with your TikTok, Facebook, whatever the case is. You can show what's happening. You can tweet at your lawmakers. A number of different things that you can do that didn't exist 10, 15 years ago. Engagement with, with our lawmakers are changing. And so we need to be uh, able to speak both languages, in-person, traditional, and then digital and social media as well. So when you talk about the food banks approach, you know, I mentioned um, one of the th initiatives of our um, client services department has to do with data collection. And so I came to the food bank about six years ago, and that was my sole initiative at the time. I, I didn't manage any other initiatives, but because our CEO, who was new, realized that if we're not collecting this data and we don't know who we're serving and where we're serving them and what their needs are, how are we ever, you know, if we don't know where we came from, how are we ever going to get better? or you know do any better so um one of the things i would say our approach is to really um dig into the to the data collection and what that has done is it helps us know where the food deserts are right so when we see where our partner agencies are and where they're serving and where we have our programs you know we can kind of put that on a map and see oh wow look at that big area right there where no one has a grocery store or a food pantry or anything for 20 miles. So that's, you know, so in collecting the data, now we've been able to implement, we have 20 mobile pantries now that go out to some of our more, more rural areas. Um, we have school pantries where we take you know, a shelf-stable box, protein, produce, and our parents are able to pick up groceries at their school when they pick their child up because 
it's uh, and it's mostly we've we've started with the students who were on free and reduced you know have a high rate of free and reduced rate lunch we don't we don't um, gauge that for instance whoever says they're in need they're they're welcome to to food but so I would say you know our approach is you know first trying to see where the food deserts are and then and then implement programs that can help we also just recently almost a year ago in march we um, we started if you're familiar with feed rogers um, and it is our um, client choice uh, food pantry where um, neighbors uh, they make an appointment and they just come in and they shop and it's uh, it's just like a grocery store and at the end the only difference is it's free so, uh, so I think, you know, we're looking at more of those models, but, and the last thing I'll say is one thing that we really realized because Monique and St. James is one of our great partners is really all we, one of the biggest things we could do is put into our budget, what we call agency capacity grant funds. So now we've started, and this is our, um, our third or really our second full year, we started in third quarter of 2021, but um, this is this is our way of like, Monique, she's already doing great work. They they already have a great, a great pantry going on, so we can just come alongside them, listen to their needs, and then fill some of those needs, then they can serve their neighbors, you know, hopefully better and in the way that they would like to serve them, and I'll hopefully serve them more nutritious foods in the process because we all we talked about in the beginning how diabetes and heart disease and some of those things that are so prevalent in our food insecure neighbor because they don't have access to the more nutritious foods which is something St. James does a good job of so that's a kind of our approach we try to we try to see you know we try to seek out the gaps and then find the best ways to to fill those and and really um, like you talked about, we try really hard. If if we have a community partner or someone, a partner agency that's already doing that, we try really hard not to duplicate those services and just help them do it in their best way. As you were starting to talk about the data element of it, was there a place where you were surprised to find food deserts or was, was there, you know, I think we can look at something anecdotally and then we look at the data and we think, oh, that surprised me, or I, I wouldn't have expected that. Did you have any elements of that when you look at food deserts or you look at spaces where, like, oh, this is a little more insecure than I anticipated? That's a good question. I'm trying to, I'm, I'm thinking back to some of our maps. But, you know, um, when you think about our map, we have Madison County, Carroll County, Washington, and Benton Counties, of course. And, and I think that, you know, Madison County, we have seven or eight partner agents, or now we're down to five. So when I think I first came to the food bank about six years ago, you know, I thought, oh, this is great. This county's pretty well covered. But you know, when we actually looked at the data and the numbers, there's a lot of gaps there and we have a lot of people more people there and work to do on the folks that we need to serve so that was one where you know I thought oh they're they're pretty you know we're doing pretty good out there and not when you look at the data we have work to do so I think what I hear um panelists saying um representative Garner I think mentioned this and you Casey is that here we are in northwest Arkansas relatively affluent with food corporations but Still, there's astounding figures where where hunger is concerned. Um, people would be shocked. 
and that might be due as you may as you said david to what storage getting the excess food to people transportation uh you know um just people, infrastructure infrastructure in general, issues right? yeah. um you know capacity to 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 um to to do that kind of a service issues relating to you know how people might feel as students to go get those kinds of services um, but Terius, uh, you're studying this as a graduate student, right? And I'm curious as to, you know, what you're seeing in the community, you know, what kind of organizations um, are, you know, are students involved in or you're seeing from an agricultural perspective that can also help from another level solve these kinds of issues of food insecurity? Well, thank you. Um, so that's really big. Um, what I've noticed is... <clears throat> there are a lot of organizations um, in within our communities that are tackling these issues. Uh, but one of the, the, the key players that we're missing, one of the key stakeholders are K-12 students. And um, so uh, I teamed up with a, a couple of uh, partners. Um, we, we do a, um, a summer enrichment program. It's called OUSI, Arkansas Lighthouse um, Enrichment. Um, academy, Summer Enrichment Academy, and we bring students to Northwest Arkansas to engage in different pathways to agriculture. And we be, we are able to in, enrich them with uh, the hands-on tools and see the different um, jobs and to see the, the needs that need to be filled. So they are able to be exposed to them early so they can understand the critical approaches that they need to make to get to the end result to better our communities. Mm -hmm. So that's a, uh, an avenue that I see is going to really um, help us out in our communities, be able to put the youth involved early to let them know what we need and what they need. It's, it's not just us. They are us. Because is that part of a STEM drive? Like, you know, the drive towards STEM and tertiary education might be pushing people away from addressing these kinds of direct needs that are community needs. So universities creating that kind of a relevant education, K through 12 educational system, um, addressing those kinds of a relevant community needs is also one of the systemic issues. Is that what you're saying? Yes, definitely. Yes, definitely. Well, one of the things, you know, when I think of, when I think of the, the 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 Silicon Valley tech bros, you know, like the thing that they that you hear them talk about is just like I want to make as few decisions as humanly possible so that I can put all of my mind power into creating the metaverse or creating, you know, Twitter, or creating the next big EV company. And so for them, it's just like, well, I don't have to think about what I eat. I don't have to think about what I wear. I wear the same thing every day. I drink this bottle of of you know, protein powder stuff that just feeds me every day. And it kind of takes us away from a little bit of like the reality that like food takes time to grow and that like food, making food is a process, right? It's not just like putting it in a bottle and shaking it up and like that's your food, right? I think that's a, that's a privilege that people have that they don't have to think about where their next meal is coming from, where their food is coming from. Terrius, I know that you, you're going to be on an upcoming episode of the podcast in this season, and, and you talked a little bit in the show about um, just the, the reality of like making your food and just the like power and authority that comes with that. Can you talk a little bit about just the like the, you know, the human nature of growing food and why that can be so empowering? Oh, man. So <clears throat> to be able to know where your food come from is so important just to touch it, to feel it, to smell it. It gives you a different sense of purpose. 
it's different than saying, hey, I went to the grocery store and just got it, you know. It's okay. I got it. But when you can't go to the grocery store and just get it, that's a problem. Because you don't know how to go and get it. You didn't see it from the start to finish. You just saw the finished product in the store. So I, I, I like to work with organizations like, um, you know, local places like Tricycle Farms to be able to engage with community members to say, hey, come see what's going on. Feel the soil. Understand why soil is important. Those things are so impactful for any youth or, you know, people that our age that didn't have that type of relationship with, with agriculture. Um, so it's really important to be able to have those lived and learned experiences to be able to progress and move forward. If not, we become dead. The, the knowledge dies. So it's important to have these type of experiences throughout our lifetime. So that's what I advocate for, to be able to teach people and show them, hey, these opportunities are here for you, but you have to take advantage. You have to know where it is. Mm -hmm. um, we also have to think about that people have to have access to land, no, right? That zoning practices, um, uh, you know, you know the kinds of urban forming, um, the class you're going to be teaching in the fall, terriers on uh, foraging and 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 picking your own food. These African American traditions, um, African Americans have had to sub, uh, substitute, um, you know, or make up um, for the inadequacies of their diets since slavery. Uh, fishing, trapping, doing all of those kinds of things. And now, you know, when we are in spaces where we're dispossessed of our land and our um, other kinds of possessions and we have zoning laws that are saying that you can't raise chickens or goats or whatever in, in certain spaces, that also creates issues of food insecurity. Uh, so, uh, you know, that's also additional political stuff um, to be addressed. But I wanted to uh, get back to uh, David in terms of thinking about um, you know in terms of uh, when you train uh, students for the students who might be listening to you um, now um, what would you tell students in terms of um, trying to approach someone like uh, Senator Bozeman or how do they target somebody like a Senator Bozeman about these kinds of issues that may exist on campus relating to food insecurity, hunger in their community, and so on. How would you help them do that? Well, I mean, first things first, students in this space, they're already ahead of the game. <laughs> so they're already kind of getting the information, knowing about, oh, wow, I didn't know Senator Bozeman was the chair of the Ag Committee in D.C. and all that, that that does. And so, I mean, if you have students who are in these spaces, they're ahead of the game. As far as what they need to do, the best practices and tips of engaging in office, having a successful in-district meeting uh, with the senator or, or their, uh, their legislative director, we walk them through that process. You know, the types of research that you need to do on the senator so that you can have a better understanding of who they are as a person, their views. Because if you're going into a Democratic office, you're going to talk and use different words than you were at a Republican office. <laughs> and you have to be aware of those things. We could be doing the same thing, but just because you said something different, it could be a turnoff in the meeting. So we make sure that those types of best practices are addressed, as well as just making sure that it's a comfortable experience for students. We don't want them coming out feeling scarred or anything like that. Same as the worst experience ever. I'll never do that again. <laughs> and so we you know, go through a storytelling exercise so they can understand how to tell their why, you know, how to present talking points, and then follow up with the next steps. And again, you mentioned, oh, wow, will they come out to a site visit or a school? 
Absolutely, yes. If they don't come out, they'll send someone from their, their staff out. One of the things that we do in the month of August when they're not in D.C., they're only in D.C. from Tuesday to Thursday. They just come there to vote, and then they're trying to get back in state or district to raise money, talk to constituents. But in the month of August, that's their summer recess. And so that's when we're the most active with church partners and other groups saying, all right, hey, your congressman elected fiscal will be home this month. Let's set up a community breakfast. Let's set up something where we can truly have a back and forth about some of these issues. And it works well because we want to make sure that we have visibility with the elected official, but you really want to make sure that you have a building relationship with that staff person inside the office because they're gatekeepers. Representative Garner, did you want to add something there? I saw your I saw your tiny little hand up. Yeah, do we <laughs> need Zoom. to take a bus down to the Capitol, Representative Garner? Do we do you need some backup? Uh, well, un unfortunately, I have another legislative committee meeting that I'm going to have to hop off of. We've got a, a little 144-page uh, oh, yes, right. education bill coming out, so um, I need to get back to that. But I just I just wanted to say, um, just to kind of conclude, go back to, to politics a little bit. In talking about all of these programs, I just want to mention that um, a lot of these programs wouldn't be possible without... Uh, folks just like you guys who have been involved either volunteering at Tricycle or at Appleseeds or at your at your own university garden. But, you know, we at the city, we have gotten, um, you know, we've we've changed the laws so that we can have agriculture and cottage industries and some of those kinds of things in in the city. The counties have made sure that there's water and there's there's uh, 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 extra uh, clearing for for some of the gardens uh, and and small farms, the state has worked on um, education. Uh, we're working on an education bill right now. I'm I'm also on ag, so I'm on agriculture and education, and um, been able to to work to pull those two together. So we're working on legislation right now that will start uh, pilot programs for agriculture in. Uh, K through 12, so that will be part of the curriculum, and and uh, and uh, we can, you know, we can teach kids to to uh, garden and get their their uh, core curriculum in that in that gardening program. We also have a farm to school, a state farm to school coordinator. Um, that's the first program be be able to be community started in 2010. And so, you know, it's it's so important, again, to not only volunteer at these organizations at the local level, but pay attention. You heard David and several people talk about uh, Senator Bozeman and what he's been able to do in, in the national politics and the national realm. So it's so important just to pay attention to your your local environment, to get involved as much as you can, to um, make sure that that you're paying attention to city, county state and federal government, because these are where a lot of these laws are are made and changed, um, amended to make sure that we're able to, to do the things that, that we want to do to keep the food system sustainable and make sure that folks have what they need to eat. We're working on some legislation right now for um, for food deserts uh, and, and some legislation for some of the, the dollar store kinds of, of uh, grocery stores. And, and so, you know, it's, it's, it's being done across the board, but please, please pay attention. And I did put my cell number on chat 
Um, so feel free to hand that out. Y'all call me. My uh, my number is on my website, uh, on the website for the state representatives. So you guys, please call me if you've got ideas for legislation or if I can help you guys in any way, please let me know. And with that, I will hop off and see if we can't get this education bill amended. Thank you, Good Representative Carter. Thank <laughs> you very much. Thank All you right. so much for having me. Appreciate you guys. Thank you. We appreciate you. I was actually curious, Matthew. Yeah. I, I see my homie, um, Nate, here. <laughs> uh, and I know he has a powerful story, uh, you know, when he started Second Helping. And um, that, you know, not only does he have a business, but he is very serious about serving the community where food is concerned. And I would actually like to hear from Nate and his intern about, you know, Nate, his story and why he started Second Helping and how he's going about serving the community through his organization and what does he have his intern doing uh, with Second Helping. Hey, thank you. Uh, This was a complete surprise. Uh Uh-huh. So I'm known uh, for this, Nate. So, <laughs> I, so during COVID, we we thought that we would extend a thousand dollars and see um, how uh, we could uh, help in the community and um, and and through any kind of donations uh, that might come and just some uh, foods that uh, that people remembered. And and that would take them to a better place, a better space, and um, and the outpour was uh, tremendous. We had people um, uh, from everywhere uh, donating uh, supplies, donating food, um, and it became a vehicle for uh, people to help because at that time a lot of stuff was going on. Oh, with George Floyd, you know, and people were afraid to help. And and so I was listening to uh, Terrius talk about um, uh, the healthier foods. And, and I think that that is a, a point uh, that we need to come to in these communities. Uh, when I talk to people, there are things that they never even seen. You know, uh, there are vegetables uh, that me and Monique talk about. Um, that 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 they love though, you know. I was out there and I didn't even put anything on the salad, and they were just like eating it, and 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 you know that's very telling. Um, um, and we're able to go out into them spaces and uh, build data. Um, and uh, uh, there's a lot of deserts out there. Um, so so what Second Helping is trying to do is create uh, the cooked food and and so people can eat those foods and, and build relationships and and find out what else they need. And there's always uh, something on the other side of that. So uh, food is the vehicle and, and, you know, and without people in these communities, uh, that's willing to help, uh, willing to extend, and everybody on this panel has been a component of that, um, uh, uh, especially Monique with uh, what she does, and we're able uh, to get donations from Monique and and feed more people. Um, I work with Terrius as well, and and 
I think that's something that we need to incorporate, healthier foods, healthier menus. I'd like to work with um, uh, uh, Casey yeah. and, and um, just actually uh, uh, show people how to uh, take those donations and build meals with them. You know, so, uh, yeah, um, uh, thank you for mm-hmm. uh, bombing me like that. But, but, but how, yeah, how, I think. How I, is your student, uh, um, in what ways are you participating? I'm uh, curious. Uh, uh, so we've had interns uh, help us along the way um, just just understand. Um, because I had an intern one time, and, and uh, he didn't uh think that it was that bad and i'm just gonna be real they thought poverty looked one way yeah you know everybody has and and i gotta be honest i was guilty of that when i started like 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 i was like it's not just one way it's not black it's not hispanic um it's everybody you know it's everybody in the pool and and were you expecting a a poverty to be a homeless person um without a car walking barefooted so so in my mind because um i grew up with a lot of black people people that look like me i thought that that's what it looked like um but there was people that were white um and and shared stories with me um that I, I i had to look at myself and and say and say wow you know what i mean because i really thought it was i'm a, a minority, minority problem mm-hmm. but it's right mm-hmm. it's a majority uh problem and and when people uh, see and it's important to know and for people to know that people donate to uh, second helping from all walks of life and people care and we leave with dignity and people no longer feel invisible and that was like uh the word that i would hear all the time i feel invisible you know you know and now i feel seen i think even farther than food we have to uh, think about how we're uh, treating people and 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 how we're using food with that uh power uh, a thing that Monique was talking about, and and just love on people and feed them uh, like you, you know what I'm saying they can to you. So, yeah. Oh, this is um, very very important. And so, Monique, you you know you you you're connecting thread um, through th- this community. Um, you you encounter a lot of people. You have interns as well. You're working with the university with students. Um, if you could talk about that relationship as well, and you know what kind of uh, learning and ways of knowing do students get when they come to Squire Jehagen Outreach Center and to the food pantry that might be different from the kind of maybe theoretical stuff that we do here in the university that is so very important for understanding this on the ground issue? Uh, that's a very good question. And you're right, it's um, it's a bigger platform that we can even talk about here. A lot of my students, you're right, they already have their mindset of who they're gonna serve and how they're gonna serve. We serve more international students than people would even know. Oh, wow. We serve more refugees because we have the resettlement and canopy here. Mm. So I serve a whole church of 60 Africans. Oh, and then wow. I serve Afghanistans. And then I serve Ukrainians. It's 
it's bigger than everybody even sitting here because to me, if you are hungry, I will feed you. Right. Like, we have to be in a position to say food insecurity doesn't care what your race, nationality, background, if you're, if you're female, male, it doesn't matter. Food insecurity can hit anybody, anywhere, anytime. But I, I tell you, I'm also that person that wants to learn how can I serve you? And, you know, I went and got all these fruits and vegetables and everything. And I was grateful that I had community members that worked alongside me that had lived in Africa. But we gave them a package of meat and it was uh, cut up thighs. And he said, oh, we don't need this. And I go, well, that's your protein. He goes, no, we get whole chickens. <laughs> because they're used to cooking a whole chicken. They had never seen a packaged meat of thighs cut up. And so culturally, I needed to learn from him. And so a lot of my international students don't eat canned um, vegetables. Mm. They don't want no canned peas. No can- <laughs> they need some fresh greens We and be peas. picking mangoes straight off the street. That's uh, right. That's what I'm talking eat. about. Uh, they be having smells. That's what I'm talking <laughs> you know. about. I've, I've seen and experienced a lot running the food pantry. But one thing that I try to do is meet people where they are. If you tell me I'm gluten-free, I try to make your box. If you tell me, hey, I do not eat any canned foods, and we try to do fresh produce, but that's expensive. It's It takes a lot, but I can tell you it's a collaborative effort. So I work with the Northwest Arkansas Food Bank, and I work with, and who also helps me with rescuing food from Sam's and Walmart's and ONF and Tricycle is one of my biggest partners. Well, let's hear it for this fantastic panel. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for listening to this live conversation. If you haven't yet, subscribe to the podcast so you never miss a future episode. Our next episode will feature our final live recording celebrating Black History Month. Our host is Dr. Kareem Banton. I'm Matthew Moore. Thanks for listening.